So one day, Jesus went up on a mountainside and he began to teach. And as he started teaching, a crowd began to develop. And the more he taught, the bigger the crowd became. And people came from all over the countryside to come and see this Jesus. And the more he taught, the crowd grew larger and larger until there was more than 5,000 lost, lonely, and broken people gathered around Jesus. And as he taught, he taught them things they had never heard before. He shared with them the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. He revealed to them the Father's love. Grace was teaching them about grace. It was a great day. And as the day wore on, the people leaned in and they listened and they were taking in everything Jesus had to say. But as the day went on, the people began to become hungry. It was the countryside. There was no food there. And the people had been there a long day. And Jesus, he keeps going. And the disciples, they're over here and they're watching the whole thing take place. And they start to see that the crowd is getting hungry. Their eyes are starting to roll back in their head. They're starting to become famished. Some of them are starting to drift off to sleep. And the disciples start talking amongst each other. They're like, man, Jesus has got to land this plane. The, the people are getting hungry. I don't know. What are we going to do? Someone needs to go and tell them it's time to wrap this thing up. And I'm not sure how they picked who was going to go. Maybe it was rock, paper, scissors, shoot. You know, like, okay, best two out of three. Can we try that again? Because I don't want to be the one. Well, someone lost. And walks over to Jesus and finds a little moment in the break in the teaching. Um, hey, uh, Jesus. Wow, what a great day it's been. Like, like me and the boys, we've got pages of notes. In fact, our journals are full. We can't even take another note. And you've taught some incredible things. And we're just not sure if you've noticed this or not. But the people are getting really hungry. And so Peter, you see Peter over there? It was his idea that we should send people away so they could go get something to eat. And Jesus very quickly looks back at them and he says, you give them something to eat. In other words, if you notice the need, you go give the people some hope. And the disciples panic. They're like, give them something to eat. Jesus, there's like 5,000 people here. That would take eight months of a man's wages. We don't have that. And Jesus says, okay, what do you have? And so they go and they look around for a few minutes. And one little boy who had been listening to Grace all day long had five loaves and two fish and offered it to the disciples who bring it to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, this isn't even enough to feed us, but this is all we got. He says, perfect. Takes it, blesses it, breaks it, gives it back to him and says, now go pass it out. And as they begin passing it out to the hungry crowd, giving hope a piece at a time, it multiplies in their hands and 5,000 people are fed and 12 basketfuls are left over. And I tell you that story because I think it's so interesting that when we notice needs in the people around us and we want God to do something about it, God wants us to do something about it. He says, you give them something to eat. And we panic because we say we don't have enough. And what I love about Jesus is he's never asking us what we don't have. He's asking us what do we have and what are we willing to do with that which we do have. And what I think is so interesting, out of a crowd of 5,000 people, you're telling me there's only one kid with some food? You're telling me in that crowd there isn't the overprepared dad who showed up with a Yeti cooler just in case? I mean, you're telling me there's not that mom there with her little bag with thieves oil, some baby wipes and granola bars? Like, she's ready, man. And yet there's only one boy that's willing to give what he's got to Jesus. 
And so the text doesn't tell us what they do with the 12 basketfuls, but based on the character and the nature of God, I believe when the whole thing was done, Jesus himself picked up the 12 basketfuls, walked over to the little boy, set it down in front of him and said, thank you. You are faithful with little. I now know I can entrust you with much. Or how about the story of Abraham? Do you remember Abraham? He's just a regular guy following God. All Abraham knows is that out of all the peoples of the world, somehow the grace of God found him. And he knows that he has been blessed to be a blessing. That's what God told him. He doesn't even know what that means. He just knows I'm blessed to be a blessing. And one day word comes to Abraham that Lot, his nephew, and a bunch of people were captured by their enemies and they were taken prisoner. And what I love about Abraham is he doesn't sit around and complain about it. He doesn't expect the government to do something about it. He doesn't wait for someone else to take care of it. No, Abraham takes everything he's got, all of his men and all of his resources, and he sets out on mission to go set the captives free. He wants to go bring the lost back home. He goes on mission and he goes and he fights this war. And in the war, he sets all of the people free, which is a reminder that no one is beyond reach of the mission of God when we're willing to use what we've got. And in the process of setting all the people free, Abraham captures a whole bunch of treasure. Why? Because when you use what you have to bless others, God can bless you with even more because now he understands that you understand why God has blessed you in the first place. You've been faithful with little, I can entrust you with much. Or how about the story of Zacchaeus? You remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus is a sinful tax collector. He's the lowest of the low, spent his life ripping people off. Nobody likes Zacchaeus. And one day Jesus comes to Zacchaeus' town and as he's walking through the crowded city streets, out of all the people there, it says when Jesus reached the spot. That's how it literally says it. When he reached the spot, the spot of prophetic destiny. He stopped and out of all the people looked in Zacchaeus' eyes and says, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus had climbed up in a tree, by the way. Zacchaeus, come down because I want to go to your house today. Now, why Zacchaeus out of all the people? Because grace is attracted to brokenness and brokenness is attracted to grace. And Zacchaeus climbed down, invited grace into his life, took Jesus into his home, had a meal with him. And as they're having this great day, sharing a meal, a bunch of religious Pharisees are complaining that Jesus is hanging out with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, all on his own, stands up and says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of everything I have to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Fascinating. Jesus never asks Zacchaeus to give. He never asks Zacchaeus to give. Why? Because when you're in the presence of grace, no one has to ask you to give. You can't help but use what you have for the good of others and the glory of God. And I love the very next thing Jesus says is today salvation has come to this house. In other words, Jesus is saying generosity is evidence of salvation. Today, salvation has come to this house. Generosity is evidence of salvation. Why? Because grace leads you to generosity. Okay, one more for you. Do you remember the story of the sinful woman? One day, Jesus was invited to this man named Simon, the Pharisee's house, and this guy was well off. He lived on the good side of town. He had a big house. He had the latest model camel. I mean, he had everything you could want. And he invites Jesus over to a dinner party and Jesus comes and they're hanging out and in walks this woman 
who had lived a broken life, a sinful past, but somewhere along the way, she must have been touched by the grace of Jesus. And she comes in with a jar of perfume, the only thing she has of value, and she gets on her knees and she pours it on Jesus and she weeps and worships him and wipes his feet with her hair. And while this is all happening, Simon is disgusted. He's like, if this guy was legit, he wouldn't let a woman like this touch him, let alone walk in the house. And Jesus knows what Simon's thinking. And so he looks at Simon and he says, bro, he says, I came to your house. Like I'm in your house right now. And I came in and you didn't give me water for my feet, a kiss on the cheek or oil for my head. You gave me nothing. And you see this woman? From the time she has walked in, she has not stopped offering her entire life to me. And so I tell you, Simon, she who has been forgiven much loves much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. In other words, your generosity is always directly tied to your revelation of how much you have been forgiven. If you believe you've been forgiven much, you can't help but be generous. But if you believe that you only needed a little bit of forgiveness in your life and maybe God's given you just because you're a good person then it's really hard to be generous. It was, her, it was grace that led her to generosity and it was her generosity, offering her life to Jesus that changed the atmosphere of that entire house. She brought the fragrance of heaven into that space. You see, I tell you those stories because they're all over the Bible. In fact, it is impossible to read the Bible without coming to the conclusion that grace leads you to missional generosity. It's literally impossible to read the Bible and come to the conclusion, anything other than grace leads you to missional generosity. Missional generosity is the normal response to God's grace. You say, what's missional generosity? It's using what you have for the good of others and the glory of God. When you've been touched by the grace of Jesus, you want everybody to be touched by the grace of Jesus. You want to sacrifice what you have so other people can be saved. See, what grace does is grace draws you, changes you, and empowers you. Grace literally empowers you to live a life bigger than yourself of helping other people find the grace of God. And so I tell you all that to ask you this question, how has grace changed your life? Like in your life. How has grace changed things? Like if I got up here today and told your story as one of the stories, would it sound anything like those stories? How has the grace of God shifted you? See, because whether you realize it or not, the grace of God is all over your life. Think of how good he has been to you, how faithful, how kind, how merciful, how he's provided for you and protected you and forgiven you and made you and created you and breathed life into you. The grace of God is all over your life. And it's time to respond to that grace. You see, for the last few weeks, I've been telling you our new vision, that our vision is to be a movement of hope for the city and beyond. Together, we want to be a movement. As individuals come together and submit what we've got to a common vision for an exponential return, a bigger impact than we could have on our own. And we want to take the hope of Jesus beyond just this place into the city and beyond. And we said that there's two ways we want to do this, harbors and hope carriers, campuses and people. We want to gather around the hope of Jesus and then carry that hope where we go every single day. We said that a campus like this, it's just a harbor. It's a place where we come in and unload our garbage and get touched by the presence of God, get filled up with the hope of God, and then be sent back out to carry the hope of Jesus wherever we go. That this is our vision. And we said the way we're going to get this started is missional move, hope for the city, where we take a next step 
So someone else can take theirs. And what we've said is we want to take everything we've got, put it back in the middle of the game and use it for the good of others and the glory of God. And we said what we want to do is go from four campuses to eight campuses in the next four years. We want to launch a university campus, a Gainesville campus, North Lake Argyle, Roanoke, somewhere out here. And somewhere along the way, God will show us what the fourth campus is. And we've said, what if we just draw a big circle around North Texas and said, let's just own it. Let's make sure every person that lives in this space has repeated opportunities to see and experience the hope of Jesus. Like, what if we make it hard for people to go to hell in this area? What if we make it hard for people to be hopeless in this area? What if we put a harbor of hope within a 20 minute drive of everyone who lives in this space? Because every student deserves to have a hub in their neighborhood or school district. Every child deserves to hear God is good. Jesus has forgiven them. They are loved and everything is possible. Every marriage deserves to have a harbor of hope that they can go to when life is falling apart. And we said, what if we just do it? We said, it's big. It's $20 million to do all of that. And so what I've done for the last few weeks is I've cast you a big vision. Like, I get it. I get it. For those, some of you, you're like, our brain has exploded over the last few weeks. I know, man. I've like, we've preached long. We've said a lot. It has been a lot to share. It's been big. And what I've been trying to do is tell you the direction that we're going. That this is where we're headed. And like any big expedition, any big movement, any big adventure, you have to know where you're going But it all starts with the next step. A journey of a thousand miles begins with a single next step. That's why in Psalm 119, 105, God says, your word is like a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In other words, he will show us our very next step in the direction that we're going. And that's about it. And if you think about it, like Columbus didn't leap from Europe to America. He had to get in a boat. Lewis and Clark didn't leap from the east to the west. They had to start walking. Neil Armstrong didn't leap from the earth to the moon. They had to build a rocket. We can't leap from where we are. Go to the map, please. From where we are to this. We have to take our next step. And our next step is to make a commitment to give. Our next step is simply to say, hey, we want to invite everybody in our church to make a two-year commitment above and beyond what they already give to help us do that. See, here's the deal. We can't just sit here and cheer like, yeah, let's make it hard for people to go to hell. Yeah, every person deserves a hub in their school district. Yeah, and then keep our hands in our pockets. Because this won't just happen. God's told us the direction that we're going and now he's inviting us to take a next step and we have to have the courage and the faith to do that. See, to give hope, replies or implies that you actually have something to give. And so we're asking everybody to make a two-year commitment above and beyond what they already give. And I boldly ask you to do that. And here's the deal. I told you, this is not a campaign. This is not a fundraiser. There is no thermometer in the atrium. This is, we've been listening to the grace of God for years in this church. It should now be leading us to missional generosity. And I boldly ask you to do it because I know what it'll do in your life, in our church, and in our city. Like, I know the freedom it will bring. Like, just think of these verses, Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Jesus says. In other words, he says, your heart follows your money. We say, no, no, my money follows my heart. No, Jesus says, where your treasure is, where your money goes, your heart follows and attaches. So if you give to this, your heart becomes attached to Jesus and attached to us. So all of a sudden, you're no longer a nomad. 
Roaming from church to church and place to place, enjoying and consuming what other people do, you now step into your destiny of being a pioneer, contributing and engaging and moving forward, building a history with God and his people. Or how about Luke 6 that says, give and it will be given to you. In other words, you can't outgive God. What does God want to give you over these next two years as we go on the journey? problem is, is our lives are often so full that there's no space for God to give us the next things he wants to entrust us with. So he asks us to open up. Or how about Proverbs 11 that says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. He says, generosity is the way you expand your life. You want a bigger life? You want refreshment? Then give. See, by participating, what you're doing is you're attaching your heart to Jesus, your heart to this church. You're breaking off agreement with the kingdom of darkness. You're separating yourself from the things of the world. You're expanding your life. You're creating new opportunities and you're allowing God to fill your life with hope, man. So you got to remember that the Bible tells us what we sow, we reap. That money is like a seed. What you set in motion stays in motion. And if you sow a stingy amount of seed, you'll reap a stingy harvest. But if you're generous in what you sow, you'll reap a generous harvest. So I said in Corinthians 9, it says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. Whoever sows generously, reaps generously. What you set in motion stays in motion. And so if we sow hope in the lives of other people, we're setting up a harvest of hope to reach for ourselves. Like the greatest way to find hope is to give it away to someone else. It's the greatest way. Like, could it be that we're often looking for hope and can't find it because we've never set it in motion? Could it be that we want to harvest something that we've never planted? So if you're here and you feel hopeless in your own life, I know exactly what that feels like. And it's real. And the greatest thing I can tell you is give hope away. Because by faith, you're setting it in motion and you will reap a harvest of hope for yourself. See, to give the missional move hope for the city, it's saying, I have faith in hope. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I believe that if I give hope to other people, I'm going to reap it for myself. And this is why our prayer is that every person, every individual and every family will take a next step and participate. Because it's good for you. This isn't about campuses. This isn't about money. This is about you moving forward with Jesus. Because if every individual and every family member, that means I'm talking to you. So you catch that, right? That's the word every. That's why it's underlined. (laughs) It's not the person next to you or a person at another campus. This is you. Why? Because if you participate, here's what you're saying. You're saying, I'm here. I'm invested. I'm following Jesus. I'm on mission. I want to be a part of the people of God. I want a history with God. I want some hope in my life, so I'm going to give it away to some other people. So whether you're online or at a campus, whether you're new or whether you've been here forever, we want every person to participate because of what it will do in your life. In fact, for those of you that are new, this is your chance to say, okay, I'm finally in. I've been, I've been kicking the tires of this church for a while, saying, I don't know. All right. It's time to stop kicking the tires and say, this is my home. This is my harbor and I want to invest into it. And so all I'm asking you to do is ask, listen, and respond. That's it. Every person. Ask God what he wants you to do. Listen to his voice. Respond by faith. That's pretty cool, huh? That's it. I'm not giving you like all kinds of stuff to try to stuff you. 
ask? Like nine things that I knew I shouldn't have said that were all right there on the tip of my tongue. Ask God what he wants you to do. Listen to his voice because you are his sheep and he is your shepherd. And he says, you hear his voice and then have the courage and the faith to respond. And I'm already hearing amazing stories. I'm hearing stories of little kids that are making crafts and selling them on the side of the road to fill up their missional move piggy banks. I'm hearing stories of students that are saying they're not going to buy that new iPhone or buy those new clothes because they want to take what they've got and give it so other students can have a hub in their school district. I'm hearing stories of a single mom who's taking on a second job so that her and her kids can have the money to invest in the lives of other people because she wants to set in motion hope in someone else's life. Are you kidding me? When a single mom takes a second job so other people can have hope, that should challenge every one of us sitting in this room. Stories of people giving their bonuses and stock and stories of people sacrificing things and, and couples praying together for the first time in their lives saying, what is it that God's actually saying to our family? Let's come to unity on that. Don't underestimate what God wants to do in you in this process. It's not about the campuses, it's about you. I'm telling you, man, the stories of the last missional moves that we've had, like stories of, of a couple that, that in the past missional moves, like they, they couldn't get pregnant. And they wanted a baby in the worst way. And so they'd saved up for years. They'd saved up money for in vitro. And they had their whole plan on how it was going to work. We get to the missional move and they felt like God was asking them to give their in vitro money to the missional move. So with tears in their eyes, they gave it to the Lord. And guess what? In that missional move, they got pregnant and had a baby. Yeah. A story of a guy who lost his job had just enough money saved up to the end of the year and he felt like God was saying, I want you to give it to the missional move. And the guy was terrified. How am I gonna pay my bills? What am I gonna do? But he knew it's what God was asking him to do. So he had the faith to respond and he gave it to the Lord. And in that missional move, he got the dream job that he always wanted. A story of a guy that had this nest egg saved up and it was kind of like his safety blanket. And he felt like in the process, God was saying to him, hey, you trust in that money more than you trust in me. So it's your God. I'm not. And I would like to be your God. So I want you to give that to me and trust me by faith. And he gave it to the Lord and by faith in that missional move, by the time it was all said and done, his heart was set free and God gave him back in his bank account four times the amount when it was all said and done. Don't underestimate what God wants to do in you. And I know some of you, you're sitting here, you're like, wait a second. So you're saying if I give, those are the kinds of things that I can get. Some of you are like, I don't want a baby. I don't, I'm out. I'm, no. What I'm saying is, is that when you turn your heart to Jesus, amazing things happen. The key to a life of miracles is do whatever he tells you to do. We all want miracles, but then we get to these points and we're not sure about that. Whatever he tells you to do. Can I tell you something in my life? I'm so excited, Colleen and I, to be a part of this. This will be the third missional move we get to be a part of. I feel like I'm investing in an investment of an investment. And I've watched in the past of God has moved in our lives personally and at home, emotionally, spiritually, physically. I've watched God do amazing things, so I can't wait. So I'm not asking you to do something we're not doing. We're giving the most significant gift we've ever given in our lives, sacrificing all kinds of things because I want to be a part of this because I can't wait to watch what God's going to do in us and through us. And hear me, you're never too young to have an impact and you're never too old to leave a legacy. 
There's a reason we only talk about the little boy. Because he was the only one who was willing to give what he had. So he made an impact. There's no mention of any of the other adults there except they ate and were satisfied. (laughs) Or how about King David at the end of his life? He gave almost everything that he had for the construction of the temple. See, we love David's legacy. We want to be like David killing Goliath. We're just not so sure we want to be like David building the temple. But if David inspires you, let his whole life inspire you. And say, I'm not too old to leave a legacy. And you don't have too little or too much. If you feel like you have too little, God will take your little and turn it into much. Like one day, Jesus is watching this widow put her money in the, in the offering at the temple. And he says, I tell you the truth. This poor widow, maybe she was hopeless, has put in more than all of the others. All of these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. They gave leftovers. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. She gave everything she had to God. And even though it wasn't financially a lot in the world setting, Jesus said it was everything. And he took her little and turned it into much. And he said he takes it personally. If you're here and that's you, you're doing it for Jesus. And if you're here and you got a lot, hear me. God can take your lot and turn it into more than you ever could on your own. In Acts chapter 4, the first century church, it says from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Okay, catch that. This is the first century church and these people who had a lot are selling what they've got to give it away so the movement of hope, this is only Acts 4, like Jesus has just died and they're given what they got so the movement of hope could happen. If you've got a lot, God can take your lot and turn it into more than you ever could on your own. In fact, if you got a lot, did you ever wonder why you have a lot? Because I'm smart. (laughs) Who gave you your mind? Who gave you your breath? Who gave you your life? God gave you a lot so you could be a part of a movement of hope. You've been blessed to be a blessing. Is that blessing flowing out of your life? Or is it just about accumulating more? See, we're all on this journey of grace and generosity. Every one of us. Grace and generosity. Grace is receiving the goodness of God in our lives. And then when you receive it, you can't help but respond with generosity. And we're all on this journey. Like maybe you're here and maybe it's just like you've never given before. You're considering. You're kind of not so sure about this whole thing. Kind of makes you uncomfortable. Or maybe you're here and you've kind of given for the first time. And that's just like a, a new thing in your life. You're figuring out. Maybe you're here and you give occasionally. Like you give when it's a good month, when you can, when you've got extra. Maybe you give intentionally. It's a regular part of your life and what you do. Maybe you tithe and you give God the first and best 10% that he says belongs to him. Or maybe you give beyond your tithe sacrificially out of the 90% that God says belongs to you. Okay. We're all on this spectrum. Here's my question. Where are you? You don't have to tell anybody. I'm just asking, like, where, where are you? And you know just like that where you are. Where are you? What if you just took a next step in this process? That's it. I'm not asking you to go from here to here. So what if you just took a next step and trusted God? See, because you understand this whole thing is about trust. That's all it is. God's saying, do you trust me? And isn't it interesting that we'll trust God with our salvation but not our finances? Isn't it interesting that we trust God with our soul, but not our resources? 
Here's how I would describe that to you. I don't know that you then actually trust him with your salvation or your soul. Because it's impossible to give God the thing you value the most, yourself. And keep your hands in your pocket. He's saying, do you trust me? Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Even if it doesn't make sense and you don't get it in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Remember, if Jesus is the living hope, then to follow him is to follow hope. To obey him is to align myself with hope. To choose Jesus is to choose hope. This whole missional move is about you following hope. Are you with me on that? See, do you remember the story of the parable of the talents? We've talked about it a little bit in this, in, this, uh, in this series. The parable of the talents is Jesus describing to us what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he says, a master has three servants and he gives them each a sum of money. One guy gets five, one guy gets two, and one guy gets one. It represents a sum of money. And he tells them to put it to work and he's going away, but he'll come back and they need to give an account. And so the guy with five works hard, turns it into ten. The guy with two works hard, turns it into four. The guy with one is afraid and he buries it in the ground. And Jesus says the master comes back and calls them into account. And the guy with five says, master, look, I took your five and I turned it into 10. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will entrust you with many things. The guy with two steps forward, master, I took your two and I turned it into four. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will entrust you with even greater things. The guy with one steps forward and says, master, I was afraid. So I hid it in the ground. Here it is. He says, you wicked and lazy servant. Take that away from him and give it to the guy with 10. My question for you is, are you using what you have in such a way that you'll be able to hear the master say, well done, good and faithful servant? Are you using what you have according to the master's purpose? Not your idea. The master's purpose for the good of others and the glory of God. Because the only way to expand your life is by stewarding well what you already have. If you're not faithful in the little, he says he can't entrust you with much. But when you're faithful with what you got, he gives you even more. So if you're here and you got five talents, hear me. You not only have the opportunity, you have the responsibility to use it according to the master's plan. When you got a one talent single mom struggling to take a second job so she can give like a two talent person. For those of us with two talents and five talents, it should challenge how we view what we've got. I tell you what, I want to live my life. So on the day when I stand before Jesus, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. See, the paradox is this. Everything we need to do this missional move is right here. All of it. All the gifts and the passions and the talents and the money and the resources and the finances, it's all right here. The question is, is are you willing to use it or are you going to keep it buried in the ground? And remember, whatever's buried in the ground, you lose in the end anyways. I mean, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, just, just for reference for you, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't know, listen. Yes, you will be enriched in every way, 2 Corinthians 9, in every way so you can always be generous. He says you have everything you need to respond to God today. And when we take your gifts, it's talking about the people of God, to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, or in our region, so the good of others, 
And they will joyfully express their thanks to God. It will glorify God. As a result of your ministry, your faith, they will give glory to God. They'll have hope for your generosity to them. And all the believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. In other words, he says what Jesus says. Generosity is evidence of salvation. Grace leads you to missional generosity. See, hear me. God is looking for people who don't love the world so he can entrust the world to them. That's what he's looking for. Like, look at the map. This is what he's, he's looking for people who don't love the world so he can entrust the world to them. He's looking for people who will take him at his word that we can do greater things than Jesus did, that we have the keys to the kingdom of heaven, that we have the authority to bring hope to the world around us. See, I'm telling you, I don't think we're the first ones God has asked to do this. I'm convinced that God has offered this vision to other churches along the way. And for whatever reason, they said no. I want us to say yes. Because I don't want to live my life watching this vision happen through the hands of someone else. Because guess what? God's going to do this. He's inviting us to do it with him. See, I think we wait around and we're like, God, move. God, move. God, do something about the darkness, the brokenness. And I think half the time God's like, I already made the biggest move I'm going to make. I gave you Jesus. Well, what do you mean you're waiting for me? I've already given you everything that you got. Your gifts, your passions, your mind, your finances, your resources, your life, your breath, your very existence. I've given you all of it. I'm waiting on you to move. We're like, God, look at how broken the schools are and look at how bad business is and the government and the chaos and the divorce and the pain and the cancer. And God's like, I know. And you're waiting on me, but I've told you, you give them something to eat. I'm not letting you send them away. I'm waiting to see what you got and what are you willing to do with it? You with me on that? Okay, so it brings us to this point. Next week... It's commitment weekend. And next week we're going to come with our commitment cards and we're going to come with our commitment. And if you didn't get one, they're in the seat bag in front of you. If you didn't get one of these packets, it's got one in there, all the stuff. And basically here's where we're at. It's time to make a choice because following Jesus is a choice. So we're asking every individual, every family to consider making a two-year gift above and beyond what you already do. Hear me, don't divert what you already give. That just allows us to do what we do today. This has to be beyond that because it's expansion and let your yes be yes. Don't write something down there to think you're going to get bonus points from God and then not fulfill it over the two years. We're going on your word by faith. And so I want to encourage you to take time this week to process this, fill it out with your family, however you want to do it. And then come next week with your commitment, write the name of someone or something you're hoping for on the card and then come with an initial offering. Because you see, the sooner we have the resources, the quicker we can do this. And we're already seeing opportunities pop up. And when you give something to it, it connects your heart in a completely different way. And if you're here and you're like, man, I I just have no interest in that. Okay, that's fine. Here's my question. Why not? That's a fair question, isn't it? Like, I get it. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. But here what about, why not? And then just process that with Jesus. Like Psalm 139, here's a good verse for all of us this week. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Where am I afraid? 
Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. What if you just said, God, I want you to know my heart and I want to be free. Here's what I'm afraid of. Here's what I'm stressed out about. I don't know. I want to choose you, but I need just process with him. Ask, listen, respond. See, the gospel is free, but to spread it is not. Jesus sacrificed everything so you can have hope. And if we want other people to have hope, we're going to have to sacrifice something too. Like someone else's faith did all of this for you. Like, catch this. Today, when you walk in here, someone else's faith opens the door for you. Someone else's faith serves you coffee. Someone else's faith invests in your kids. Someone else's faith raises up your students. Someone else's faith leads you in worship. Someone else's faith preaches the word of God to you. Someone else's faith ministers to you. Someone else's faith pays for all of this. What's your, hang on, sorry. What's your faith doing? That's really the question. And here's what I want to say. Oh my goodness, don't miss this. Don't miss this moment where Jesus is saying, let's go to a new level, me and you. Let's go to a new place of conversation and trust and hope and love and life. Like, like don't miss this, man. It's time to build a new history with God. Listen to me. The wise men were given the opportunity to give their treasures to pay for Jesus' childhood. The little boy was given the opportunity to give his five loaves and two fish to feed the crowd and be remembered forever. The, the small group of women had the opportunity to fund Jesus' ministry on earth. A man was given the opportunity to give his donkey so Jesus could ride into Jerusalem to die. Someone else was able to give their upper room so the Holy Spirit could be poured out upon the disciples. Someone else was able to give their tomb for the crucified Jesus to be buried in and rise again from the grave. This is an opportunity that God is presenting you not the person next to you. To say, what am I going to do in you and through you and for you in this process? Oh, man, don't miss it. Don't miss it. You are made for this. Your spirit craves the impossible. So let's go move some mountains, walk on water, defeat some giants, and do the impossible in Jesus' name. The vision is clear. And the mission is urgent. The only question that's left is what are you willing to do with what's in your hand? What does God want to do in you and through you over these next two years? May the grace of Jesus lead you to missional generosity. May you be a hope carrier and may we be a movement of hope. So will you close your eyes with me? And let me just ask you, what do you feel like God wants to say to you today? Just right now in this moment, like just, just turn your attention to the Holy Spirit. What, what's he whispering? Where is he drawing you? encouraging you, maybe challenging you. See, the grace of God is all over this room. It's all over your life. 
sometimes the way we receive grace is by just by faith responding to it. And so maybe even right now, just say to the Lord, say, Jesus, would you speak to me this week? I'm asking you what you want me to do right now. I'm afraid. I'm a little nervous. Maybe you're stressed, anxious. Maybe you feel hopeless in your own life. I get all that. So look to the living hope. Look to the living grace. And say, Jesus, would you draw my heart after you in a new way? Lord, we want to receive your invitation to be a movement of hope in our generation in this time, in this place. May you rise us up as hope carriers that live missionally generous because of your missional grace. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are and what you do. In your name we pray.